This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. What is the best way to improve outcomes in the office or in the classroom? Some people might say to put an incentive on the line. Some say it's to give advice. But what about the people involved in that process, the leaders, the bosses, and even in some cases with schools, the students themselves? Does that person giving the advice benefit as well? That's the theory of a new report from the Behavioral Change for Good Initiative here at the University of Pennsylvania. It was published in the proceedings of the National Academy on Sciences. Lauren S. Grace Winkler uh, is here from the uh, University of Pennsylvania. She was part of the report, and she joins us right now. Lauren, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Great to have you with us today. Uh, so give us a background on this study and what you were really looking for. Yeah, so, uh, you know, standard approach, particularly with kids, is that you assume that if somebody's struggling, they need help. Right, like someone who uh, you know can't do their homework. You, you assume a teacher or a parent has to step in and help the student to motivate them to get it done. Um, you can think about goals across the lifespan, right? Like so, people who try and quit smoking. We assume that if they're really struggling, if they can't achieve the goal, what they really need is a coach or a mentor to come in and save them, to help them, provide them with useful information. Um, And so what we tried in a a really large study run with the Behavior Change for Good initiative is the exact opposite approach. We said, what if when people are struggling, particularly to motivate themselves, right? So lots of people just set New Year's resolutions, and they're trying to figure out how they can motivate themselves to follow through on goals. So we said, what if they did the opposite, right? What if instead of receiving help or receiving advice, we asked the very people who are struggling to give it? Um, And what we did was over um, months, we tracked outcomes um, and we examined whether the act of giving advice, the act of helping someone else can actually motivate behavior for the giver. And so when you're talking about something like a a school setting, giving that correct advice, uh, I guess, can determine, can positively determine the mindset of the student going forward. Yeah, so what we specifically measured was the students' grades. Um, So at the beginning of the third academic quarter, students came into a a computer lab and they were appointed as advice givers. Um, So it was a randomized controlled experiment. So half of the students were randomized to give advice and the other half were just randomized to practice as usual. Um, and, And what we did was we tracked over an entire academic quarter to see whether the act of being appointed as an advice giver and giving advice to a younger student Specifically, it was motivational advice. Um, So, for example, telling younger students how to avoid procrastinating, um, how to follow through and finish your homework, how to select optimal study locations. We wanted to see whether students, specifically high school students, who are appointed to give advice to younger students would actually raise their grades over an entire quarter. Um, and, And we found that they did. And so I guess to a degree, this is a version of mentoring, correct? Yes, I think it's typically not the, the, the recipient who, who people are studying, right? So people typically think, well, if someone's giving advice, the person who's going to benefit is the person who's getting all this really helpful information. And I think what this study helps to elucidate is that typically when people are struggling, and specifically with motivational issues, we underestimate how much they know. Right. So in some ways, the person who's been struggling to keep a diet and has been trying to lose weight for 20 years, they know so much more about weight loss 
than someone who's never struggled because they've read all the magazines and they've listened to all the podcasts and they really have thought about this so much. Um, and so what you really need to do is give someone like that motivation, not information. And um, for reasons that are, I think are really intuitive, right? Then the, being appointed as an advice giver, feeling like you, you can give something over and like you have information and, and someone believes in you and your potential to help someone else, right? All of those things could very easily raise a person's confidence. Um, and it turns out that when we're struggling with motivational issues, often that's what we need even more than information. When you talk about, about these types of examples uh, in general, having the potential impact in, in areas like policy and practice, how, how do you link it back specifically with the research that you've done here? So this particular study was on a policy-relevant outcome, kids' grades. It is so hard to get teenagers to do anything, let alone work harder in school. Um, so, so we're really excited to have changed, you know, students' grades, which are notoriously difficult to shift. Um, in other research, we've shown that the act of giving advice can motivate people to lose weight, um, can motivate people who struggle with anger management to control their tempers, um, and to motivate people who are unemployed on the job market to seek employment. Um, and in all of these cases, what we find interestingly is that the act of giving advice even though these people are just lay people who struggle with these issues, giving advice is more, more effective and more motivating than receiving advice from an expert source. So, for example, take the person who's trying to lose weight. The act of giving advice ends up being more motivating than receiving advice from a nutritionist at the Mayo Clinic. Um, so, so we do find that this, this phenomenon seems to replicate across domains. What, what impact, and specifically in the, in, the, in the type of study that you did then, what is the impact on the school itself? I would imagine there are some elements that, that, uh, of the school that benefit from this type of activity going on between different students. Yeah, so the way we ran the study, just to try and, um, you know, establish proof of concept and make sure that the active ingredient we thought was, was having an effect, advice giving, truly was having an effect, um, we, we didn't sort of make this a, a school-wide program where mentors interact with their mentees. I think that's a, a really interesting direction moving forward. Um, in the initial study, we really were thinking of it as a proof of concept, as let's just, uh, let's just have students give advice. Um, not have them interact with the people who are receiving advice. So you could imagine that would either strengthen the effects if there's a very positive, grateful student on the other end, or potentially it could weaken the effects. Um, so for this first study, we just sort of focused on, you know, can, can we find some evidence that in the real world um, we can change a real-world student behavior? Um, and I think that the sort of directions you're pointing to as to how this could affect the whole school culture and yeah. students interacting with one another, um, I think that's something we're really excited to, to look at moving forward, um, but, but haven't really explored yet. Well, and, and I would think, and this may be another one of these areas that, that will uh, will come down the road as well, is that we're in an era where right now where a lot of schools, especially in the public school system, they're looking for inexpensive ways to improve the outcomes of their students, and this could very easily be one of those uh, one of those paths to follow so that's one of the things that excited us most because as i mentioned it's really hard to change students grades and some of the most effective strategies have been things like tutoring programs which are great if a school has you know a, a funds to, to support you know five hundred dollars per pupil in a tutoring program then that works really well um but but this is basically has you know advice giving has a marginal cost of zero 
like our team developed a program. This was in collaboration with the Behavior Change for Good uh, project at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Character Lab, um, two, two organizations that really helped facilitate this research, um, and it wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, and so, yeah, if, if we can have the effect here, and um, uh, so, so we're, we're really excited to see what's next. Well, yeah, and when you talk about the cost being zero, I mean, realistically, the only cost involved in this is the belief by one person that the other person is looking out for their best interest. Exactly. And we've already created a program where students, it's like, you know, it was created with graphic designers and it's very visually appealing. And so we already have a program that any school district could currently roll out to students. Um, And we do, we see, you know, a a benefit in terms of raising students' grades from participating in this very, very light touch, um, really zero cost. There's a cost in terms of the students' time. Um, but even that is pretty small. Students participated over one class period, and we see effects over an academic quarter. Yeah, may- maybe when I said mentoring, it wasn't the right the right term because realistically, what you're talking about is building more leaders within a particular school. Yeah, you're right, and I think we're excited to see how booster sessions, right? So students in this intervention, you're right, they were sort of appointed as leaders. Um, over over one class period, and to see how these effects could potentially strengthen if students did it multiple times or multiple times within a quarter um, over an academic year. Um, there's so many different iterations that, that we're excited to test um, given these initial positive results. In, in doing this work with the school that you did this with, have you been able to get any feedback from from them post-study about the the longer-term impact of of seeing this play out? So what's so interesting is that in order to um, really uh, maximize uh, the the scientific integrity of the experiment, as I mentioned, it was a randomized controlled design, which means, you know, two kids in the ninth grade, they they go and they're randomized, one to be an advice giver, one not. Um, And in order to really make sure that the effects of the intervention were true, and not sort of like teachers thinking it would work or thinking it wouldn't work. Teachers were completely blind to assignment, which means that when Joe walks into their sixth period class, they don't know whether he was an advice giver or not. Um, so it would actually be really hard for them to tell um, or to sort of give us feedback on, on how things were going for Joe over the quarter and whether advice giving worked because they have no knowledge as to which students were the advice givers and which weren't. Um, we did that to sort of maximize the cleanliness of the research design and be able to, to make really clean inferences. Um, but I agree with you. They must have so much useful information on the ground um, such that it would just be a, an interesting qualitative exploration after the fact to go back and, and ask them whether they saw changes in different students' behaviors um, or, or effects of the intervention if we actually pinpointed and told them, like, hey, these 20 kids in your class, they were advice givers. Did you see any particular changes or differences in the way they behaved? Um, because one, the strength of a field study is that you can do something like measure a real-world outcome. Uh, the weakness is that we know very little about why it works. Right? Like we weren't on the ground tracking students' behaviors. We weren't giving them self-report scales throughout the semester to see how their attitudes or beliefs changed. Those are typically things that you do in a lab study to complement a field study. Um, just because in the real world it's so hard to, to pinpoint students down over the course of the semester and ask them additional questions or measure additional behaviors. Um, but I totally agree that talking to, stu- to teachers at the school and even peers and younger students 
um, could be helpful to try and understand how this intervention worked and how being appointed as a leader um, really influences students over time. So in in the paper that you wrote about this study, you talk about the giving of advice being psychologically wise. Can, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so psychologically wise means a little bit that you're tapping into a recursive psychological process. Um, so you can imagine, uh, so for example, lots of students have a very uh, negative self-image of themselves when it comes to math. They just think, like, I'm not a math person. Uh, adults, it turns out, actually sometimes think this, too. Um, but so a psychologically wise intervention would understand that this psychology, thinking you can't do math, independent of your actual math ability, has an effect on your performance. Right. Um, and so a psychologically wise intervention is all about tapping into some sort of underlying recursive psychological process, changing that and then watching the effects snowball over time. Um, and so here, in the context of motivation and achievement, I think the reason why psychologically wise was appropriate is because lacking confidence really can impinge on a person's motivation. Ironically, the standard go-to strategy of giving someone help and giving them advice, right, having, positioning them as a recipient, that can actually undermine a person's confidence because the, the underlying psychological message you're giving is that, well, you don't have what it takes. And really, you need somebody's help because you can't do this yourself. Um, and so flipping that, asking someone to give advice, it's not going up to someone and directly saying, hey, we think you lack confidence. Maybe, maybe if you just built your confidence, um, it's tapping into an underlying psychological, psychological process, confidence, but in a very sort of uh, hidden way, such that it's, it's wise to the psychology of the person involved. Um, without compromising or making them feel bad or, or, or making them think that they, that they can't do it themselves. Um, and so uh, there's, there's a long track record of psychologically wise interventions uh, uh, having long-term effects that, that often snowball over time. We are joined by Lauren Esgrace-Winkler uh, talking about a study that she was involved with uh, about giving advice and how that can impact uh, the lives and the futures uh, of kids in a school setting. Uh, Lauren, actually, a comment from uh, from our phones uh, coming in from Texas. Uh, Dr. Wenrick joins us with a comment. Doctor, great to have you with us. Join us in. Hi. Uh, actually, I'm a former teacher and a retired doctor, and any teacher in the world knows this is true. You don't know a subject until you have to teach it. Uh, physicians in general uh, love having residents working with them because it keeps them on their toes. They have to understand what they're talking about to to teach it. Doctor, yes. th- go ahead. Go ahead, Lauren. Yes, and so I think you're right. I think we're tapping into something that's been around for a while, that's known. Um, I think maybe in a, the way in which we're expanding that in a way that's useful is that um, there, there is a lot of literature on peer effects in teaching, right? Peer tutoring, when students teach math or English to another peer, they learn it better themselves. Um, I think maybe what's a little different here is that we ask students not to teach content. They weren't learning math and teaching it and learning actual information, it was actually that they were teaching about motivation. They were teaching something that they didn't think they knew. And just in the process of conveying and being appointed as leaders or advisors, it seems to have sort of um, sparked in them the notion that, oh, I do know this, and raised their confidence and gotten them uh, uh, to work harder. 
Um, and so I think you're right that teaching is a way of learning new information, definitely. What's so interesting about this, in, this intervention is that we raised motivation and achievement in school despite the fact that we taught students no new information. Right? We didn't say, here's a new motivational strategy, teach it to another student, and if you teach it, you'll learn it better yourself. It really was about sort of eliciting things that kids already knew um, uh, by having them, them teach others. Dr. Wenrick, thank you very much for your comments uh, and, and for listening. Great to have you with us. Lauren, uh, great work. And I, I think this is going to be very interesting to see how this this next few steps plays out. And, and I guess if you could, uh, as we leave here, what do you think are the next steps for this research, building off of what you've already found to, to go to that next level? Yeah, so I think one of the most exciting things is to figure out, get a better handle on why it works um, and for whom it works best. Uh, and and we're, we're starting to explore that, trying to figure out, you know, what are the personality traits or the inclinations or the knowledge levels that make this intervention work better versus worse for different people? Um, and also really understanding the mechanism. So when I started as a graduate student, I was so much less interested in mechanism than in having real-world impact and designing interventions that could actually help people in the world. And maybe I've drunk the Kool-Aid, but I've become <laughs> convinced that, that understanding theory and really understanding why things work, that's the most practical thing in the world, right? Because if we figured out really it's all about confidence, then we could play up those factors of the intervention, right? When we introduce it to people, we could do it in a way that's really confidence-enhancing. Um, so I think the, uh, the next direction is really to try and understand better the mechanisms through which this works yeah. in order to ultimately make it an even stronger, more effective intervention uh, across the spectrum. Lauren, thanks very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Lauren S. Grice-Winkler joining us uh, talking about the study they did about giving advice. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.